The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with BiteClear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. BiteClear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Well, EJ, there was food, there was liquor, there was a legendary gambling victory on Thursday evening. Of course, the one Thursday that we're not streaming is when we hit on a ridiculous 25-1 to 1 slip over on Prize Picks and made a whole bunch of money, but... It's okay. We won. I'll take the win. We have a lot to go over today. So, uh, Jay, Autumn, Anthony, whichever one of you happens to be editing us, roll the intro. Welcome, 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 one and all. It is the Week 12 Thanksgiving Week recap here on the bootleg football podcast again recording a little bit later this week than normal uh but still probably going to end up with the same ridiculous length of show that we always do uh we have a hell of a lot of games to go over a lot of different narratives and storylines and shockers and also things that were absolutely not shockers at all but before we get to all those ej buddy how you doing what are you drinking i'm good it's the full meal deal all the sides dessert drinks Whatever you want. We got the full Thanksgiving show. Um, we will be doing the 3-2-1 format again instead of the 3-3-3 format because we're at that point of the season where playoff picture is starting to come into shape and some teams are definitely playing for next year their draft status. So we'll be talking less about them as we start studying the draft. But for the rest of the season, we'll be doing 3-2-1, three up, two down, one fun but uh, you know us, we're not going to be able to lay off the storyline. So uh, the shows will still be pretty long, but this one's full and it's fun. It's a weird week. Thanksgiving's always a little bit strange. There's a whole whack of games on Thursday, which were awesome. And then there's this break. <laughs> you get to digest those and your dinner. And then Sunday comes around, you kind of do it all over again. And then we pick up the pieces on a Tuesday and talk about it all. Yeah, next year is going to be even crazier because there's going to be a Black Friday game on Amazon, which we actually probably will be streaming on Black Friday next year. And then we got the full Sunday, and then we got the Monday. It's, it's God, Thanksgiving's going to be nuts. But that's 2023, Brett and EJ's problem. For now, right. let's talk about 2022 Thanksgiving, where we hit the mother load. Uh, recently, Prize Picks uh, introduced a new feature where you could do a six man slip for a 25x payout if you hit on it and so ej and i got together we decided you know what let's throw let's throw 20 dollars down on all these thanksgiving and, and ej kind of sent me all of his little he's like okay here's what i want for for jefferson and amon ra and barkley and cd and darius and, and cook and these were in fairness to ej 
every single one of these was was on his list for what he picked, and I kind of picked out the ones that I agreed with. And, uh, he and you picked it. right. You and picked right. That's the coolest thing is I went back the day after and because I said, hey, each game, here's, you know, I looked through the prize picks options. Here's four or five options for each game. This is what I'd put up there. And uh, I'm really glad you didn't take more from the Bills games because the Bills game I bombed on. All the others, I we was we great took on. what mattered. We took Amon Ra because he's the safest one, right? That was the <laughs> I think that was the only one I got right for my for my Bills guesses. The other ones I was four out of five for the other two games, so that that was a lot easier choice. There's a lot better things to pick from from there, but um, combination slip again. I can't play slips because I live in Washington. This is just like, hey, what I would do, you do what, and and you picked right, which was amazing. And it's funny because. Uh, you know, part of the reason why we felt so comfortable with the with going all the way to six was because Justin Jefferson was a free square on Thanksgiving. Uh, Price picks did uh, over under for half a yard receiving, so basically it was just like a free square. And you could have done over under a buck thirty, and it still would have hit. Like that's how ridiculous of a day he had. We called him out for you know potential offensive player of the year honors before the season started, and I think he's exceeding even our expectations. Uh, and he's just, he is utterly ridiculous. He's the best receiver in the league right now. I think, uh, you know, obviously there are other guys in his tier, but in terms of if I, you know, gun to my head, had to pick one who's the most complete, I would say Justin Jefferson. He is playing out of his damn mind. You know, Amon Ross St. Brown, once again, playing like a top 10 receiver, um, you know, more than just a slot guy. Like a lot of people, I think, pegged him coming out like he does everything and he's been the heart and soul of that Lions offense buck 22 in his own right uh Saquon that was the one I felt a little bit kind of iffy about because you know when it comes to Saquon like one touch can be 40 yards and so we went under uh 22 and a half receiving and and thank god you know (laughs) what that one stuck you know what's crazy about that that was uh, one of the harder picks because I pick some unders. You tend to pick overs when you do it, and and I love the positivity. It's cool, but I I decided to pick a couple of unders, and Saquon was the under. And like you said, one touch can be lightning. He had four catches for thirteen yards. Like that doesn't happen with yeah. him. He had four catches and still didn't make more than twenty two and a half yards. Like that's that's the sweat. If you give Saquon four touches and tell me he's not getting twenty yards, I'm like, eh. but he held out for us, and and so the picks kept rolling. Yeah, that Cowboys defense, man, they they really are. They're fast, aggressive, physical, beat the shit out of everybody. We're gonna see them against the Colts on Sunday night this week, and it's gonna be a disaster. Mm. Uh, but CD hit is over. Slayton hit is over. Dalvin, you know, we needed 11 and a half receiving, and he doesn't typically catch a whole lot of balls in that offense. Not that he can't. They just don't really emphasize it. But we hit that on the last drive. We got to 14 yards, and there we go. 500 bucks, EJ. And we're going to use was... that to springboard this Thursday when we stream because now we can play the big boy slips. Now now we got the capital. We're oh. like, okay, we want to put 100 bucks. We want to put a $100 slip. For the next five weeks, we can do that. And yeah, us. and I had uh, I had that gambler's remorse, right? I was like, oh, man, if we'd only. But then I was like, dude, it's a six slip. Or it's a six parlay slip, right? You always say that when you win. But, uh, no, it was amazing. It was a lot of fun. We were waiting on Dalvin on that last drive. Uh, he had either two or three catches and 11 yards. And I was like, 
come on, man. <laughs> One dump off. So uh, we left uh, where we were watching Thanksgiving a little bit before that game was over here on the West Coast. And I was texting you in the car. I was like, dude, he gets one catch. We're golden. You're like, I know. Uh, so it was a lot of fun. Strung out. Thanksgiving games were a lot of fun anyways. But big thanks to Prize Picks. I hope you tailed the slip. I realize that's been a pretty good strategy throughout the year. I really hope some folks reached out on Twitter and said thanks for the slip. So I assume they tailed it and they had very nice holidays. But big thanks to Prize Picks for sponsoring the show, making all this content possible. Huge thanks to them for the free Justin Jefferson Square uh, on the holiday. All of that stuff added up to a, a really legendary win and a lot of fun. And uh, again, we're going to be streaming this Thursday. What is the Thursday game this week? Do you it is. Bum, bum, bum. Hang tight. Uh, Bill's Pats. Oh. Oh. That one's oh. actually going to be really hard. <laughs> yeah, the the slips in that one, especially for the, the Patriots, um, because they, again, were one thing in the beginning of the year. Now they're something else. And on any given week, they can go uh, a lot more or a lot less for a given player. They're not a single player dominant offense where you can look at like an Amon Ross St. Brown and go, yeah, you give me up to a hundred yards. I'm taking it. You give me 75. It's a lock. Yeah. It's like, you want to believe that Ramondre is going to get a whole bunch of yards every single week, but it's also the Patriots and you have PTSD from that. So <laughs> there's a really interesting stat about the Patriots and how they were rolling and a very dominant run game and how that's that coin has flipped. What was the stat? Yeah, this is a lot of fun. Well, it's not fun if you're a Patriots fan, but through the first five weeks, the Patriots were 11th in rush play success rate. Since then, so that's week 6 through 12, 32nd. So week five against the Lions, they ran all over them and then haven't run over anybody since, basically. <laughs> and not only haven't run over anybody since, they fell off the damn cliff. They are bouncing off the bottom. So they went from wow. 11th, which is basically top third in the league, to last. Yikes. Yeah. Fucking yikes. Uh, well, speaking of the Lions, by the way, they are not the team they were in week five. I'll give them credit for that. But they still did uh, have a particularly painful loss. Uh, we're going to go over that. First things first, in three up. Three up number one, uh, those aforementioned plucky Lions going up against the Bills. First things first, I do want to say the Lions are so scrappy, and I root for them every single week because, God, how many games this year, and, and also last year and also the year before that, you know, have we seen them snatch defeat from the jaws of victory and become just so close to getting on a roll like we think they can get on a roll and like they're not a bad team like they play people tough they're 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 not a pushover they haven't been a pushover in a while um like their record isn't great but they always give people a game and the bills were no different like they they absolutely could have won this game and yet when the bills absolutely needed a throw to be made josh allen dropped the seed to Stephon Diggs up the seam against what to me kind of looked like cover five robber. So there was like eight guys in coverage and it looked like it was man coverage with two high safeties and then like a robber sitting over the middle. And the robber just like didn't 
relate to Diggs at all and and sink and get depth. So Diggs just ran right behind him, and, and Josh dropped that ball right in there. Some people were saying, oh, but he was spying Allen. And I'm like, well, from 15 yards away, I don't, I don't think you spy Allen from 15 to 20 yards away. It just looked like he was playing robber and fucked it up to me. But anyway, was an amazing throw, great catch, set the Bills up for success. They won the game. But this was less about the Bills beating the Lions and more so about the Bills surviving the Lions. And I do think that eventually Detroit is going to learn to win those types of games. I really do. It might not be this year. I think it's going to be next year, but they are so damn close. The Bills just happen to be one of the best teams in the league, so they are well-trained in winning those types of games. They've done it a lot, um, or at least with Allen, you know, marching down the field with under a minute. Like, he's more than capable of doing that. And so they're just kind of further along in the development. But I do think eventually Detroit will get there, too. The eventually will be defense for the Lions. So first things first, the Bills have stabilized. They had a moment with Josh's elbow injury. And since that scare, they've made a big adjustment. And they've figured out ways to keep rolling and win even with him playing hurt. That's a big deal. That's what good teams do. They take a punch and they adjust and they figure it out. The Bills have figured out a way to keep winning, which is big news. But on to the Lions. Ben Johnson, the Lions offensive coordinator, he needs some really heavy praise for what he's built in Detroit. Because the Lions, quote-unquote, learning how to win is going to be getting a defense. Because the Lions are third in scoring TDs in the NFL. Mm-hmm. with incredible balance. They're eighth they, overall in total scoring. They can put up points. They can put yep. up points. Yep. So 16 rushing and 17 receiving touchdowns. That's incredible balance from a modern NFL offense. They're eighth overall in scoring when you add in kicking. That puts them within one point of fifth place, the Bengals, who are overall fifth at 25.9 points a game. They've scored the most points in their division, the NFC North. They've scored more points than the Vikings. Mm-hmm. And everybody's like, oh, Kevin O'Connell and Kirk and Justin. We just talked about at the top of the show. Like, Vikings are mid. Lions have scored more points. They need to get a defense, though. So while they're eighth overall in total scoring and third overall in scoring touchdowns, they are last in the league by a mile for points allowed at 28.2. The next closest is the Cardinals at 26.8. Middle of the pack for points allowed in the NFL is 22 points per game if the lions allowed 22 points per game this year they'd have a lot more wins they'd Uh, probably be looking a lot like the vikings honestly (laughs) that's the point i wanted to make which is the vikings while scoring less points four are nine and two yeah the lions who've scored more points are four and seven because they've allowed 310 whereas the vikings have only allowed 257 so If you can take a Lions defense, do whatever you need to do. They need some dudes. They have dudes. They need more dudes. And they've got some schematic issues as well, but dudes are going to cover up a lot of that. If you can crank that from 28.2 points a game down to the 22-point-per-game range, this Lions team will suddenly learn how to win games, which means not having to boat race everybody every week, which they are capable of doing, and we've seen them do it, but not with the leaky sieve on the other half of the coin. So 
when they get a little bit more defense, this team is a very real threat to win the NFC North. And what's fascinating is that 28.2 allowed per game is after a relatively stable three-week stretch of like 19 per game once they fired their DB coach and they dramatically improved. And they're still at almost 30 for the season as an average. So it it was that bad. It was that bad. It's better now, but it was (laughs) that bad. The 4-7 and record makes a lot of sense. Uh, Three up number two. I know that sounded negative, but we were trying to frame it in a positive way of like, the Bills are good and the Lions could be good eventually. Anyway, It's not negative. It's factual. Like the (laughs) Lions offense is really, really good. And everybody needs to recognize that they're good right now. Everybody says, oh, if you just get a quarterback. Folks, they don't need a quarterback right now. They're scored the third most touchdowns in the league with Jared Goff. It's also, I think their record, they're they're not going to have a good record, but I think their record will be quote unquote too good. To get Young or Stroud or whoever, like I, I don't think that they're going to be trash enough to get any no. of those guys anyway. So. And if Ben yeah. Johnson stays, do you really want to upset the apple cart, right? If, if he doesn't, if he might get some He's going to get some interviews for sure. Whether or not he goes is a whole other thing. But if he stays, do you really want to like start over with a rookie yeah. quarterback when you were when you were scoring enough points to win? The answer is no, you'd keep stable and push those resources to defense and say, "Hey, if we score this many and just allow a whole lot less, we'll be fine. Like we can yeah. win our division right now." Uh all right, three up number 2, Bengals Titans. This game was fascinating to me because I think it's an interesting preview of Bengals Chiefs because what people don't realize is that in terms of like personnel groupings, not necessarily like overall style, but in terms of personnel groupings, uh, the Titans and the Chiefs are relatively similar. They're two of like the top five teams in terms of using 12 and 13 personnel sets, meaning two or three tight ends on the field. You know, Titans are I can't remember the exact place they're in, but I know they're both top five, but Titans are about 38%. Chiefs are about 34, 36% somewhere around there. So they're both over a third of their total offensive snaps with multiple tight ends on the field. And you would think that that's at least on the Chiefs end because, oh, they want to run the ball a lot. Not necessarily. They still throw a shitload. The Titans do run a lot out of 12 and 13 personnel. So I felt like this game was an interesting preview because I was like, okay, well, how are the Titans uh, going to play from these 12 and 13 personnel looks against the Bengals defense, which likes to play a lot of nickel against 12 and 13 personnel? Will the Bengals still be able to stop the run and prove they can stop the run despite being in a pass defense personnel? And yeah. (laughs) They were able to stop the run. Uh, 11 of 21 running back carries for the Titans came against nickel outside zone. They only had two runs for minus two yards on outside zone. Inside zone, they had two runs for eight, so about four yards a carry. Duo, uh, weirdly enough, even though we don't think of the Titans running a lot of duo, that was one of the the only runs they had a, a modicum of success on, four for 19. Counter, they ran twice for a total of one yard, and then they ran power once for no yards at all so again this is all against nickel from 12 and 13 personnel sets and the titans got stuffed and 
honestly, the Bengals on the year from their 4-2-5 nickel package, they're allowing 2.7 yards per carry against outside zone, 2.8 against inside zone. Duo, they're allowing 1.7. Like, they, they're pretty much only getting gashed every now and then by counter and power because against a, a lighter defensive front, you would expect that. But, like, they're willing to eat six yards on power if it means you can't throw against nickel because if all of your zone stuff and all of your duo stuff is getting shut down, like you're not going to live on power and counter. No offense is going to live on power and counter. So the fact that they can stop the run from nickel and did that against the Titans, who love running against nickel, is a big deal. And I find that to be a fascinating preview of the Chiefs game because if the Titans can't run, the Chiefs for damn sure won't be able to run. And now I think we're going to see a lot of Patrick Mahomes trying to throw against a very stingy, annoyingly stingy Bengals pass defense that's going to be sitting in nickel all day and saying, go ahead, Pat, let's see what you got. I I don't know if it's going to work for him, but I think that's the matchup we're going to get. Yeah, there's a couple of different variables that twist. It is a fascinating look at personnel groupings and whether or not you can stop it. Chiefs interior offensive line little better than the titans interior offensive line but again derrick henry is better than anybody the chiefs are running out of the backfield so be fascinating to see how those balance but dj reader coming back big thing for this team in terms of their ability to stop the run they are a different team with him playing up there but this was a great football game i'm gonna go sort of over the stats and take the 10,000 foot view of this this was a great fun football game teams traded blows it came down to the wire for a lot of the day they look like mirror images for as much as we're talking about the titans possibly looking like the chiefs the bengals and the titans had a lot of similarities we both had both qbs toss great seam balls in this game like Mm -hmm. early they both ripped the seam later burrow started to separate himself with the sort of cover two hole shots to t higgins in the corner he hit about three of those and they were all big plays running backs playing at a high level both teams check derrick henry did his thing and samaje p ryan we got to talk about samaje p ryan we talked about him a couple of weeks ago having all the receiving yards and how that was helping the offense he was the lead back in this one and he has developed mm-hmm. and people say oh how did you have him rated coming out and i say i don't care because he is way better now than when he came out. He is more complete. He has continued to develop in the run game and the pass game. He was an absolute tone setter for the Bengals. First play of the game, stiff-armed a DB into the ether. <laughs> like Was like, nah, this is how it's going to be all day. He is shifty. He's powerful. He's much more dangerous in the pass game than he was when he came out. He looks much more complete. So shout out to Samaje Piran. Young, big play wide receivers making big plays. Yes, T. Higgins had one of the most uh, staggering drops I've ever seen. By his standards, yeah. Early yeah. in the game, ball hit him in the hands and it looked like he took it and threw it down. It was very weird. Very anti t higgins and you could tell that burrow came back to him and said look dude i'm coming back to you like shake it off you're gonna get eight more of those so like don't don't sweat it and they did and he did and we continue to see Traylon burks on the other side starting to make those big plays just 
I was going to say mossing a guy, but it, it, Moss wasn't that physical. Like, Traylon Burks just stole that ball down the middle early in the first half. And then tight ends refusing to go down on both sides. Hayden Hurst rumbling through the defense, and then Chigger Conqua on the other side, like, getting pushed from his offensive lineman. Like, these two teams looked like each other, and this is a potential playoff matchup in its own right. Again. So, again. <laughs> yeah. So, it was a... I just want to say it was a fun football game as somebody with no skin in the game either way as to who won this game. This was a really good, fun football game to watch as a football fan. And one note about development's not linear. We say this over and over again on this show. Travion Williams. Travion Williams is a guy that I loved running back. Came out in 2019. Got drafted in the sixth round. Everybody's like, mm-hmm. oh, EJ, you love Trayvon Williams. He said he was so good. He's never done anything. 2019, the year's draft, no yards. 2020, 157 rushing yards and 30 receiving for the season. 2021, 51 rushing yards. Total? Total. <sighs> okay. Yeah, nothing. He's he's basically he's been on the practice squad for a lot of this time. Like everybody's like, oh EJ, were you wrong about Travion? It's like no, he's super talented, but this is how it goes with running backs, and we see this. We saw it with Dearness Johnson in Cleveland a couple of years ago, like even last year. It was like no, he's really good. Is he getting any carries? No, he's playing behind Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. Yeah, last last <laughs> year on a Thursday. Get touches. Yeah, last year on Thursday, Dearness Johnson comes out 120 yards. Okay, so Travion Williams, same way. Basically, his first three years are a nothing burger. It's 200-and-something rushing yards and 30 to 50 receiving yards. It's just nothing. Last week, he shows up on the stat sheet. Kick returns. Five kick returns for 124 yards, almost a 25-yard average. And I was like, oh, look. I was scrolling through stats, getting the agenda. Left. I was like, look, Travion Williams is playing. He's off the practice squad. That's great. He's making a living on special teams. Good for him. Fourth year in the league, grinding away, making a living on special teams. Sunday comes around. He has 18 yards on two carries. Which, Both of them again, not, it doesn't sound crazy, you know, a whole lot on the stat sheet, but when you watch the carries, you still see the spark. Yeah. I saw it when I was going through the All-22 for this game. I was like, oh, there's something there. I know he's RB3 or RB4 on the depth chart, but there's something there. Yeah, and one catch for 24 yards. Mm-hmm. So three touches and basically 42 yards, which were big for where they came in the game for the Bengals. So here's a guy drafted in the sixth round, been on and off the practice squad, done nothing for three years, but just when you tell young players, like, Stay ready. Be ready. Keep grinding. Keep getting better. Keep working. The chance will come. Last week comes on kick returns. This week, only a few touches, like three touches in the whole game, but each one of them first down. Like, this was just a great credit to a player. I mean, think about all the practices, the injuries, the offseason training. Four years worth of pro football is a lot. And he had basically nothing to show for it before two weeks ago but here he is it's like still good told y'all can still do it so shout out to Travion Williams uh one last note on this game if you go to the ESPN playoff machine and you look at like the projected seeds based on where we're at right now if playoff started today third seed Tennessee 
is hosting six seed Cincinnati. So huh. we, we might see this matchup again. And there is a whole lot of implications for that because these two teams are a fascinating matchup. So hopefully we get to see it again in January. Uh, all right. Three up. Number three. This one's, oh God, I've been waiting for this for months at this point. I, I have been desperate to spread Trevor Lawrence propaganda on this show and have not had an excuse to until this Sunday. Uh, I didn't get to see the comeback live or like that, that fourth quarter March live. Cause I was watching other games. But when I went back and watched the all 22, cause I saw the score and I was like, the Ravens lost. How did the Ravens lose? Yeah. And then I watched the fourth quarter of Trevor Lawrence. and I was like, Oh, they got slaughtered by a first overall pick who finally looks like he was playing like a first overall pick. He went scorched earth. Like Trevor Lawrence had four big time throws in this game, um, which is like a stat on PFF where it's it's not just big chunk yards. It's like level of difficulty and and you know are you moved off your spot? Are you placing it correctly? Are you reading cut? Like it, 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 there's a lot that goes into big time throws, but he had four of them in this game, which tied for the lead across the entire league for the week, and three of them came in the fourth quarter alone. There was one that he threw, um, if I recall correctly, it was a Ravens were in quarter, quarter half. And uh, they ran, was it like sale or something like that, where it was a, it was a go route on like an attack and slip release against a corner on the quarter side to the field. And so he threw like an inside leverage go ball from the far hash against quarters. And it was pitch perfect it was spotless it was incredible it was immaculate it was one of the best balls that anybody's thrown this whole season and it came in that spot with like 30 seconds left in the game gotta drive down the field gotta have it and he hit that throw to zay jones and i'm like oh he's here he's figured it out and then like two plays later he hit the touchdown this Which was, was also a crazy, also throw. a crazy throw, phenomenal throw, perfectly placed up high where only his guy could get it. But this was the Trevor Lawrence coming out party, and I've been waiting so damn long for it, and we finally got it. I think it was a Jaguars coming out party. Uh, Trevor powered it like with all good teams. Your quarterback has to play well, and if you're gonna play at that elite level if you're gonna move up and win games that you quote unquote shouldn't your quarterback's gonna have to ascend and Trevor has shown plays and even drives of ascension but not really games and this was the game where the whole team came out they served it up to him on a platter so the Jaguars make you defend every inch of the width of the field and we say that and it's it's one of those they do they run a lot of stuff to the boundary they run bunch screens and they the, there was a play early in the game little swing out to zay jones looked like maybe a two three yard gain no he squeezes past the defender with speed he gets 11 he scoots right up the sideline and oh it's a first down it's not three yards it's a 12 yards first down they're gonna push you out to the boundaries push you out to the boundaries because 
look, Trevor can trigger it out there very quickly, and it's just substitute run game. Talk about that all the time. And the first time you start inching out, they're going to hit you off tackle inside. Jermichael mm-hmm. Hasty, you're going to be wide of the hashes, and they're going to go right up the middle because they're pushing, 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 and you finally take two steps on your set to get outside to cheat to go over and mash that power screen, and now they're going to go right up the middle. And that combined with a roster move that was a little under the radar, which is Jamichael Hasty being added to this team, it's paid big dividends. He he was critical in this game. He had a lot of success in San Francisco as an undrafted free agent. Kind of when he went to Jacksonville, I don't think anybody was like, ooh, Jermichael Hasty. They're like, oh, yeah, guy. I was, <laughs> just because I really yeah. liked Jermichael Hasty. <laughs> yeah, he had his own little coming out party in this game, which was amazing. Trevor's just seeing it so well right now. He's so much quicker than he was Mm -hmm. last year. Now, Doug has him confident and playing fast, and you can see it on the field, but it's also development. He's been there. He's seen him. He's more comfortable with the weapons he has. He still has some of those hesitation plays, but that balance has shifted. Last year, there was more of those and then occasional flashes that made us say, ooh, like, he's still that guy. This year, it's a lot of plays where he triggers very, very quickly, and the the end result of the play matters because of that. Great example, 117 to go in the second quarter. Jags blitzed the middle linebacker. He saw it instantly triggered to the hot throw, which is a running back going around the left side, but he threw it so fast and on target, turns out to be like a 25-yard game mm-hmm. because he was like identified blitz, zing, instant. Right. It was that instant recognition that let the running back get the ball in his hands and really, you know, make a ton of extra yards after that. No hesitation. And this Jags team, when I say they handed it to Trevor, they needed a play. They needed a lot of plays. And <laughs> He's like Trevor, four plays in a row. <laughs> Trevor's throwing. But that's the last drive. What happened before that? They needed to make a play. And Andrew Wingard comes through with the force fumble at 544 to go and that starts it that kicks it off without that they lose this game Mm -hmm. and teams that are starting to get ready to make that jump are teams that can make those plays when they need them situationally that's really important you'll see teams make plays sort of that sort of don't matter they're tucked away in the second quarter or whatever and you're like that's cool but when it comes down to crunch time five minutes to go in the fourth quarter and you're trailing your safety comes up pokes the ball out and the whole team goes nuts the whole team defense goes hey we just we handed our offense the chance they need they take the lead ravens to their credit go back and take it back all the way down the field and there's only a minute and some left right and you're like okay that's that nice job you know jags can't hold it down at home and here comes trevor right makes play after play after play throw after throw he's like no guys we got it right this was very dare i say it joe burrow like no panic no we're we're taking them i don't think you're that off by that because it was very much like no panic i got it we're gonna do this we're gonna take them and after the first big throw you could all see him like roll up and be like yep this Mm -hmm. is gonna happen like he can do this he said it was gonna happen and now it's gonna happen cool and that is a shift that is something you need to pay attention to from the jaguars are they going to make any noise this year down the stretch they're not like in terms of the playoffs in terms of how the league shakes out is this team growing to where it is going to be a real danger with trevor quarterback and all the talent they've assembled 
Yes, it is. You say they're not going to make any noise, but... <laughs> but! <laughs> now, will they make the playoffs? Yeah, probably not. But mm-hmm. they have games against... Two games against the Titans, a game against the Jets, and a game against the Cowboys on the last five weeks. Oh, they can spoil. They can sure. spoil the shit out of some teams here. And they're going the to. Yeah. They're going to because they're playing really, really well right now. They still need to clean it up. There are still plays that Trevor, for all the praise we just heaped on him, still is waiting too long. Looks like last year. But again, it's so many fewer, and that means so many more drives are being completed. So many more points are being scored. They're really starting to figure it out, and you can just see it. When the defense is able to do that consistently with them, this team is going to be nasty. Yeah, I'm really excited for their future. And I'm, I'm just really excited that um, like the vibes in that locker room are great. I don't know. if Did you see Andrew Wingard's post-game interview mm-hmm. with his locker? He, he literally said it. And he, you know, he's talking, they were asking about Trevor. And he's like, yeah, Trevor didn't really get a rookie year because he was stuck with Urban Meyer last year. Like, he literally said, you stuck with Urban Meyer. And then he's like, I would die for Doug Peterson. Like, that's that's the culture shift here. Like, that locker room doesn't actively hate their head coach, and you're starting to see that pay off. The culture is good. The vibes are good. The talent is there. Like, they they won't make it this year but they will spoil the shit out of somebody who's trying to, whether it's the Jets yeah. or the Cowboys or the Titans. I don't know who it's going to be. They're going to get one of them. Guarantee it. They're going to get one of them. Uh, all right. Let's get off the good vibes. Go to the bad vibes. Talk a little bit about two down. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com match. Just go to Indeed.com match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Two down. Uh, bad vibes all around. We, we have two teams that are uh, the pinnacle of bad vibes in the league right now, uh, both on the field and perhaps even in the locker room. There are a lot of questions with the Cardinals right now, a lot of potential buyer's remorse, not just with the quarterback, but with, with the head coach. I would probably I would probably lay things more at the feet of head coach Cliff Kingsbury than I would on Kyler, but Kyler, even he would tell you he hasn't played amazingly well so far this year. And uh, he was at a, a post-game press conference after their loss to the Chargers, and they asked him about the pick that he threw uh, on fourth and one. And he said that uh, schematically, and I'm quoting him, schematically we were fucked. Schematically, I mean, they kind of, we, we were kind of fucked. And EJ and I disagree a little bit on, on the meaning of that. EJ thinks it was a shot at cliff i think it was more him laying out the fact that schematically they actually were fucked like it was an rpo from four strong and it was a man coverage call and a Lowy gilman 
was off by seven yards, and then he stepped down, like, literally right as the ball was snapped. And, like, Kyler had already pulled the ball on on the read to throw the flat screen. This is a play that I went back and looked at every single play they had run from four strong. They'd run 28 passes from four strong this year. This was not a play they had called before. And so he thought it was going to work. And so he pulled the ball and he had the flat screen open until it wasn't because Gilman stepped down and took it away. And then he's like, oh, shit, I got nowhere to throw the ball. Kind of pointed at Hopkins, say, go deep, and then, you know, throw a pick. Um, so Kyler wasn't wrong. Like, they were schematically fucked. The Chargers played really well against it. Whether or not it was a call-out of Cliff for calling that play, I think is up to interpretation. There's context here, and it's not just the clip of Kyler saying that. It's prior to that, the question prior to that, the press was trying to get him to say, what do you What do you really think, Kyler? Right? Like, lay it at, lay it at Cliff's feet, because, look, that's what the press wants. It's going to sell papers. I get it. Um, or clicks at this point. And he, he took the high road. He was like, nah, not gonna. And then they came back to it on this one, and he he tried to stay out of it and he eventually went no we're we're fucked we're boned this wasn't going to happen and if you don't take into account all the context from earlier in the season all the feuding between kyler and cliff yelling on the sideline all and cliff saying fine you call plays let's see like (laughs) how childish is that okay quarterback let's see if you can do it right like that is all context that leads to this moment. He's at the podium and he's like, you know, why'd you throw a pick? And he's like, cause my head coach called a dumb play. Right. <laughs> and that's the way it sounds. Given all that history, I would say if it, if this was clean and there was no other waves in the water that I would agree with you that it just, we called a play. They made a good play. It's no big deal. Like it happens. They get paid too. That's what I would say if all that other stuff wasn't there. But all that other stuff is there. And this is how you can tell from the outside when a team as a whole is not like Jacksonville, right? Just like you can tell from Jacksonville and Andrew Wingard's interview where he says openly, hey, it was terrible before and now it's great. We all love it here. The opposite messages have come out of the Cardinals locker room all season and and for longer than that, frankly. So there's a lot of context here, but this is a team that is clearly not vibing. They are not happy with where they're at. It is not going well. They're not winning. There's a lot of ruffles under the surface, and this is how it bubbles out. It's these little things. It's what doesn't get said. It's what happens on the sideline. It's the the veiled shots, which, again, you're not going to come out and say, look, Cliff's a jerk, and I hate him, and I want him gone, because that's not what happens. You go, well, schematically, the call, we were screwed, and who calls the plays, right? So it's connecting the dots to say, behind scenes, Things are not well. What I don't know is because they just signed everybody to an extension. They got a lot of guaranteed money on the table. And Michael Bidwell has a lot of money, but not as much as, say, some of the other richer. (laughs) It's it's kind of a a very weird, skewed scale. Richer NFL owners where it's like, oh, if we make a $100 million mistake, it's a drop in the bucket. $100 million is not a drop in the bucket for Michael Bidwell. Um, so I don't know if they're going to move off cliff after this year. Like if, 
It really comes down to, is he willing to take the financial hit to fire Cliff Kingsbury and, and, and bring in somebody else? And even then, like who, who would you bring in, you know, cause I'm sure there's a lot of, you know, coaching candidates around the league that maybe would not want that job because of how Arizona has been run over the last, I don't know, 10 to 15 years. Yeah. Um, it's, it's not the most attractive position out of all of them. Not that it's a total dumpster fire, but it's definitely not the most attractive position. So it's like, would D'Amico Ryan's even want to go there? I don't know that he would, you know? So I, I don't know if they're going to take the hit to clean house. Cause that's very expensive for them. Like the Broncos can fire Nathaniel Hackett and not give a shit. Cause the owner has like $80 billion. Like they don't care. Bidwell's a lot different. So I don't know if they're going to be willing to take that financial hit. And even then, if they do fire him, who would they get that's better? I I truly don't know. So it's kind of a lose-lose scenario here where we know what the problem is, and I don't know how to fix it other than hope Steve Keim has a good draft, maybe. Well, that's the other part is if you're going to let Cliff go because you handcuffed Cliff and Keim, they both signed big extensions in the offseason. This the Arizona laid it on the line that this was the trio between Kyler, Cliff, and Steve Kime that were going to take them forward. They they threw big money at all of them. So this this is their triumvirate. Now, if you kick one leg out of the stool, if you say, okay, you're kicked out of the club, Cliff, do you send Kime with him? Because Kime's drafts have generally not been well regarded, not necessarily because they're bad players, but in terms of bringing those players in, organizational fit and development has been largely panned. Um, I've seen some very talented players end up in Arizona and not reach their potential, so that's always a red flag. So you do you do the whole clean house, which is wildly expensive. That's a lot of sunk money for people to pay people you're not employing anymore. And if so, would it make it a more attractive destination with a new pairing between GM and head coach, which we often see. We've, we've seen that multiple places around the league, that when it comes time for true change, it's it's regime change, it's the whole thing. So that would definitely make it a different destination. Um, but in terms of ready-made to win right now, it's going to be difficult. Uh, two down number two, equally bad vibes over in Tampa Bay. Another preseason favorite amongst many in the uh, in the sports world. And for good reason. You know, you had Tom Brady. You had largely intact roster from their Super Bowl year. Largely intact coaching staff from their Super Bowl year. Everything was supposed to be okay. And it is not okay. And, and there was an answer that Todd Bowles gave after the game that I truly don't understand seconds elapsed there wasn't a timeout called yet you had three of them why didn't you call a timeout there or tom on the field uh, to preserve some time if you look back and i know it's hindsight now but that 26 yard catch by julio jones you had eight seconds you could have had 25 seconds with two more timeouts there or it could have been an interception as well we said if we didn't get yards on the first down on the first play uh, we wouldn't call a timeout. We'd probably let the clock run. If he saw something, he could throw it. But we didn't get any yards on the first play. We got one or two yards with Rashad, and we were backed up. So if we had threw a pick and the ball would have went the other way and they had to kick the winning field goal, we felt better going into overtime. So I didn't do it. I don't understand it either because the logic is I was afraid to call a timeout because Tom Brady might throw an interception. 
Say okay. that one to yourself out loud, slowly. Listen to it ring in your ears, and then try and say it again without laughing. It's silly. And I understand that this whole dance that we're talking about, this is reading the tea leaves. This is performative. This is what coaches and coach speak do on sideline interviews and post game. They're managing. They're managing expectations. They're managing their locker room. They're doing all that stuff. But usually the result of that is pretty milk toast, right? They don't say a lot. They just kind of want to go down the middle and we'll look at the tape and we'll come back and give better effort and execution and all those coach cliches. And there's a reason it's protection for them from saying things like this, mm -hmm. because this is damaging. This is dumb. This, the players saw this and they all heard it and they're all going to look at Todd Bowles now who's well-respected in NFL circles, but he stepped in the bucket here. This one's dumb. Right. I wasn't going to call a timeout because I was afraid that Tom Brady might turn it over. It doesn't make any sense. Players are going to say, hey, you said a terribly stupid thing that really doesn't have any justification. You're going to lose some credibility with us. Now, lose the locker room. That's a stretch. But on a team that has underperformed with a lot of talent, yes, a lot of injuries. But we're talking about a five win team. 12 game, 12 weeks in, five and six. This is not a team that's like, oh, well, we're winning anyways because winning cures all ills in the NFL. There, Things like this are going to start to sting, right? Dissent is going to get fomented in the locker room by comments like this. And the honorable mention for two down that we're not even talking about is the Broncos, where a defensive tackle got in the face of the all-world quarterback and let him have it. For all the defense, I think, all the defenders wanted to be Mike Pinnell and get in Russ's face and say, hey, man, we've been hauling our water and you haven't. And the most Can you telling please stop sucking <laughs> the most telling thing about that was nobody came to Russ's aid. Nobody. Nobody. Russ had I mean, to stand Purcell there after the year after the game was like, oh, yeah, we're just trying to get people, you know, we're trying to get each other fired up like it's nothing like we're it's like, dude. You got in your quarterback's face and said, "Step it the fuck up." Quarterback's yeah. making like forty million a year. Like that's and, that's not nothing. And Russ stood there wide-eyed and went, "Oh, okay." Did you see Nathaniel Hackett with the clipboard in front, just like I am not turning around. I am not, not paying attention to this. This is not so, my fight. <laughs> these are the ways that you can tell that all is not well in an NFL locker room because we're not in there. We don't have day-to-day -day working knowledge. These are the signs outwardly that, oh, boy, it's not a happy workplace right now. And it never is when you're losing in the NFL. But places like the Broncos where you've put all this money in, places like the Bucks, where, you know, you've got the GOAT at quarterback and the expectations were high. You were returning a very talented roster. You're expected to walk over this division. Now, in all fairness, the Bucks are in first place in their division, but they have five wins. Do you really think they're going to roll over anybody in the playoffs? They could because Tom's better in the playoffs than anybody in history ever. It's not looking really likely, and this is how you know that the water is choppy. The thing that gets me is like, oh, you know, well, what if he threw a pick? And it's, you know, then they get the ball back and they can score. It's like, how do you think overtime works? Like, if you throw a pick in overtime, <laughs> they get the ball back and score. So, like, what's the fucking difference? Like, there's it, no difference. Just throw the ball. It's Good a nonsensical Lord. answer, and that's where it's going to fall flat with players who are out there laying it on the line. Let's be completely honest about this. All players 
are fighting for their NFL future. They know that even if they're not fighting for a postseason spot, they are fighting for their roster spot next year. They are putting things on tape. They have done all the work to be out there. And then the folks who are supposed to be leading them come out and say things like this. And this is an ego-driven business. And this is not going to go over well. Is it the end-all, be-all? Is it the death knell the buck no is it good no it's really not uh all right let's get to one fun because i would much prefer to talk about actually good coaching (laughs) for a little bit on this podcast we'll get to one fun and the san francisco 49ers all right ej uh one fun here our our good buddy brad spielberger over at pff tweeted out quite possibly the most ridiculous stat of the entire year sometimes stats are just so out there that they smack you across the face like a goldfish and you just go what is that true the 49ers have not allowed a second half point not a single one since week seven i was like a month ago well six weeks ago <laughs> six weeks ago your months are kind of long in your world D'Amico Ryan's for president at this point this is ridiculous I retweeted this and said you know second half adjustments I got your second half adjustments right here unreal in a league that is completely geared towards offense scoring points high-flying high-octane passing games to be able to say we've shut out everybody we've faced for basically more than now the second half of our current season is staggering it's Mm -hmm. unreal i mean you could just get unlucky guy falls down right somebody goes for a 60 yard streak on a nine route like not having allowed any is a testament to D'Amico ryan's leadership to the players again rallying for that guy playing being consistent filling their gaps doing what they need to do to be i would say the most fundamentally sound defense in the league it's just ridiculous but if you haven't had enough ridiculous out of that stat one more justin tucker has made 90 in a row inside 30 yards the guy is an absolute machine we all know we all joke about it but they said that stat in the broadcast and i was like again like i wonder if anybody's ever got to 100 like i i i doubt it but yeah that's crazy one bad snap one you know slippery field one loose cleat whatever 90 just as close to perfection as you can be in the nfl kicking game it's you know, those are fun things when they pop up because you start thinking about, oh, man, 90. What, what are all things that could have gone wrong? And the answer is nothing went wrong, and that's no accident. Uh, a little little schematic note on, on the, the thing that Brad tweeted out about no second-half points for the 49ers since Week 7. And you mentioned second-half adjustments. Well, they actually are pretty dramatic second-half adjustments. If you look at you know, the coverages that they tend to play in quarters one and quarter two. Uh, they are 8% cover two. They're like 20th in the league. They they stick to, you know, mostly quarters, cover three, some man coverage here and there. But, like, they don't really play a whole lot of cover two in the first half. 
In the uh, third and fourth quarter, though, by contrast, typically, ideally, when the, the offense has got working a little bit and Kittle's got his and Depot's got his and Ayuk's got his and whatever running back that week has got <laughs> theirs, you know, typically, if the 49ers can put up, point, uh, put up points excuse me, in the first half, you look at the second half, they are number one in the league in playing cover two. They play 25% of the time, which relative to the rest of the league is a fucking lot. And so you might think, okay, well, cover two, like you can dink and dunk your way down the field and they're playing quote unquote soft zone. Like how do they not even get a field goal against that? The answer is Fred Warner. Because yep. the way that the 49ers can play cover two is different than the way that everyone else can play cover two because they had Fred Warner as the pole runner up the middle in those cover two looks. So the safeties can expand super wide. You're getting dick out in the boundaries. You're getting absolutely nothing, nothing on smash because the safeties are overplaying it, nothing in the flats because the corners are overplaying it. The hook zone defenders can just park themselves inside and say, go ahead, run across. We don't care. Like, we're going to pick you up. They can overplay everything outside as well as those shallow crosses because the one area that's supposed to be a weakness, that kind of deep middle seam, has Fred Warner there. And he is basically a DB shaped like a linebacker. He changes everything. He changes the math. He changes how you can attack this defense. They can do things in cover two that nobody else can do because that is their middle linebacker. And that is why they call so much cover two in the second half because they know you're going to have to throw. And they know that they can still stop the run from that too. But like they know that you're going to have to grit your teeth and try to test Fred Warner to win that football game. And guess what? You're not going to pass that test. And so D'Amico Ryans knows that he has a super weapon. He knows that he can call his defense a certain way, and he takes advantage of that. And that's why, at least in the last half of the year, nobody can score on them in the second half. And uh, it's it's a very unique situation that no other defense, I think, can pull off because nobody else has Fred Warner. Jimmys and Joes, better than X's and O's. And in this case, Jimmys and Joes that make X's and O's. And... It, this defense and the way it's called and the way it works is very familiar to Bears fans who were around in the Lovey era, like 2005, mm -hmm. because it was the same deal. They Kyle had Locker. a DB yep. shaped in a linebacker's body who could run the seam like nobody's business and snuff the run, and they basically said, yeah, we're going to do it. And we saw many defenses throughout the NFL try and do the same thing. Oh, Legion of Boom, everybody wants to play cover three. Oh, well, you don't have Earl Thomas running the middle. You don't have Cam slamming the short stuff. You don't have Richard Sherman at the boundary, right? So they didn't have the same success. And most teams that try and play cover two don't have anywhere near the success because they don't have Erlacher or Fred Warner running the middle. Mm -hmm. And if you don't, that becomes the gap to attack and it's a pretty big one and you see middle linebackers get run by all the time we saw it in the lions game right no shots at rodriguez he can't run oh. like that oh we saw in the in the chiefs bucks game i think it was like week four or week five um the chiefs hit a seam ball to mvs up the middle because they got him matched up i think it was devin white uh they got uh, mvs matched up on devin white running the pole up the middle and like if that was against Fred Warner, yeah, he probably sticks with it. But, like, 
he's the only one who can do it. Because mm-hmm. if you keep calling that which cover two, guess what? They're going to take a receiver that runs 4-3 and run up the middle and say, okay, we'll take the 40 yards. Can't do it against San Francisco. They're too different. But uh, anyway, I love D'Amico Ryans. Love Fred Warner. Uh, I really got to go out to a Niners game at some point because I've been in the stadium. I've been on the field, but I've never been there for a game. And I, they're only six hours away. I really should make a trip. Actually, they might be easier for you to get there than me. Uh, if I'm flying, it's really easy. If I'm driving, it's a significant drive. It's 12, 13 hours, maybe. But it's a gorgeous drive, though. Cause you, oh, just, I, you, you go down the Oregon coast, right, I would imagine? Oh, no, not if I'm trying to make time. If I am if I have all the time in the world, I'll go down 101 for sure. But no, I would love to. We could meet in the middle. It'd be great. Go hang yeah. out. We could go to Ted's Bakery. Our, our good buddy Ted Wen owns a bakery in Oakland. Yeah, and it's, it looks ridiculous oh yeah like, I, I don't know if you follow him on instagram but like oh my god <laughs> ted, I, ted is gifted ted is i gifted. i try not to look uh <laughs> at their food because it just makes me want to eat it but no i would love to end up down in santa clara all right we'll find a way a game. yeah we'll find a way levi's is fun i like levi's uh all right ej let's get to the bootleg shot of the week Like shot of the week, EJ. Uh, I went through my bar for a few minutes downstairs, and I was like, "What do I need to get rid of?" Uh, and I and I don't want to be judged for this because I know it's not a cheap bottle, but I really do enjoy it. And I thought, you know what? I've never taken a shot of this before, so I'm going to do it. Uh, Whistle Pig Ten, one of my favorite Ooh. rides, and it's hot. By the way, it's like hundred proof, so this is going to be semi painful, but also delicious. What do you got? Good times. You know that saying in life: "It's the little things." Uh huh. I agree. It's the little things. <laughs> a couple of weeks ago, I went to the to the liquor store, and not that I've not had Buffalo Trace before, but I was like, hey, you can get a pint of Buffalo Trace for like $19. That would be a cool little thing to have around for the holidays. It's Take a stocking a of stuffer. Yeah. Yeah, right? It's a stocking <laughs> stuffer. But uh, the other thing that's a little bit different this week is I will not be throwing this over ice because I'm pouring it right now. And the reason for that is I really feel, and you can tell me if, you think I'm wrong that Buffalo trace is like old time, old West whiskey. Like I think it is the most classic bourbon profile out there. Yeah. So when, you know, the cowpoke rolls into the bar and it's all dusty and there's not a Cuba ice around for like a hundred miles, you're not getting ice that thing. They like wipe the dust out of the glass and you know, that would be Buffalo trace. So I feel like it's, uh, authentic to the brand to do it this way. But, uh, who won? Uh, you know what? We actually, for the first time, probably in Shot of the Week history, a non-NFL player has won bootleg Shot of the Week. We got a security guard taking <laughs> on a, an invader to the field. Some fan got on the field. I don't even know what college game this was. Uh, no idea what game it was. But the security guard came in, clearly played at some point in his life, because he laid out this dude uh, on the sidelines, sent him flying, was an amazing hit one of the biggest shots honestly that we've had all year long and it wasn't even a player so shout out to a nameless security guard who we don't know who you are but good work sir keeping the field safe for everybody win one for the little guys wow that actually goes down that's a hundred (laughs) proof bro that's that's like i would put that on pancakes Mm, well, oh my god i happen to be a maple syrup guy on pancakes but i 
I get what you're going for. Um, however, I don't know. Have you ever made um, waffles with bourbon in the batter? Yeah. You, actually, you made them for me. That was the yeah. first time I ever had them when you were down at my house. And I was like, well, I'm never not doing that again. <laughs> it's incredible. Yeah. It is kind of one of those crossed lines that you can't go back on once you've had them. They're, they're really good. But I got to say, with no ice, Buffalo Trace, man. It you know yeah there's heat there but it's not uh, it doesn't like kick you it just reminds you that yes indeed I am bourbon and it's not absinthe I'll take no. it no <laughs> no it is not last week hurt by the way I took a nap at like <laughs> in the middle of Monday I took a nap because I just couldn't function anymore I ordered a pizza and a whole thing of wings and my wife came home she's like what did you do. Are you okay? Yeah, the answer is no, no, I'm not okay. I'm glad you didn't take a nap in the middle of the podcast. We made a short oh, about I came that. Close. I came we've close. been we've been dropping shorts on YouTube. If you are not familiar with what we're talking about, go to the bootleg YouTube channel, go to the shorts row. It's the second one down and uh, watch um, most of Brett's four shots of absinthe. Only one of my two is on there, which is just fine by me because it's just pain all around. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I came home at like five o'clock at night and I'm sprawled out on the couch with an open box of pizza and half a plate of wings and the cat's sitting there like just disappointed in me. She's like, you're 31. What are you doing? Uh, we're, it's work, you know, honey. It's work. Yeah, it's... you should have been like raising money for hunger. <laughs> uh... Uh, all right, let's get to this week's nominees. Number one, talked about him a little bit earlier in the show, Samaj P. Ryan, first play of the game. Setting the tone, stiff arm of the century, uh, driving some poor Titans DB face first into the dirt. Uh, hell of a stiff arm by him. We actually had some pretty good stiff arms this year. This one might be the best. Uh, Tyus Bowser uh, in that aforementioned Jags uh, Ravens game. Trevor never saw him coming. Uh, you know, kind of pursuit. Trevor rolled right. Bowser came in from behind, like second phase of the rush, smacked him from behind, uh, forced the fumble. Big, big shot. Uh, We have a mutual shot of the week, uh, kind of a a, a human car crash here between Jalen Hawkins and Brian Robinson, who had uh, one of his his big breakout games that we've been waiting for for a while. Ran tough, ran hard, ran straight into Jalen Hawkins, and they bounced off each other. You know, Robinson did stay up, so I'll kind of give him a little bit more credit, but Hawkins smacked him, man, and just... You know, giving that many pounds to Robinson, I think Hawkins is like 35 pounds lighter than him, and stopping him cold, at least for a moment after squaring him up, still really impressive. And and Robinson, obviously, staying up is is pretty insane. Uh, And then Sean McVay, we got a coach nominee here. He didn't (laughs) deliver the shot, but he took the shot. Uh, I think it was uh, somebody was running out for special teams. I can't remember who it was. And Sean was looking at the field, and and uh, they just didn't see each other. And Sean took a shoulder to the jaw and a helmet to the forehead. He caught all of it, and it looked bad. It looked really painful. He saw him on the sideline grabbing his jaw, like, "Oh, did I just knock a tooth out?" Like it was, it was rough. But he stayed in the game, was able to coach. Uh, obviously, you know, didn't go the way he wanted on the field because the Chiefs are the Chiefs. But uh, I'll be damned, Sean McVay, not a pussy. I'll give him that. So we can say we're just like Sean McVay? That we took I haven't taken a hit like that before. No, we took a shot and stay in the game. <laughs> no, it was <laughs> I, I I swear to God, like lesser men lesser men would be on the ground for that well, one. Well, you and I I mean and many others have been there, right? We've been on the sidelines 
with it's these terrifying. guys in pads. It's people don't understand it. People, oh, I'd, uh, you know, I could do this, I could do that. The first time, and it is different. Even if you have been in the first row of the stands, you're elevated. You're another 20, 30, 40 feet away from it. It is different. The first time that you stand on the sidelines for either a D1 college football game or a pro game specifically, it is terrifying. The size of these guys, the speed at which they move, and the impact, the pure force of them hitting each other right in front of you is it does. It takes your breath away. You literally sort of gasp the first time it happens right in front of you. Two guys, you know, running back and a linebacker, and they're coming towards the sideline. You're like, I don't want to get hit. I don't want to get hit. So you're backing up, and these two guys just rail into each other. Rack! And you hear that plastic crack, and you're like, oh, my God. <laughs> like, that's two huge guys bent on destruction, and they just full force. Neither one of them let up. They just barreled ahead and went into it. And it sets you back. You go, oh, this is real now. Like, oof. And it was funny. Uh, first day of shrine practice last year on the field at UNLV. And I was just sort of walking around the field trying to trying to get a good vantage point, figuring out, like, where drills were going to be. Everybody's just sort of got there and figuring things out for the first time. And the linemen were warming up, the offensive linemen. And they were uh, <laughs> they didn't even have their helmets on. Uh, but they were running like sprints from the 10 yards in towards the goal line. And I was on the goal line and I turned around and here come a row, you know, 15, 20 deep of 300 to 320 plus pound guys. One of them was Bamel Lasseni, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> it was like 6'8", 350. And they're, they're jogging. It's warm up. So they're basically sprinting for about three steps and then they're just jogging out the next, you know, seven or eight steps to carry them over the 10 yards. And I sort of had my head down. I was looking at the notebook and look at the rosters. And I look up and here comes this line of 15, 20 guys. And they're like, oh. And like my heart did the like lion on the Serengeti thing. You're like, oh my God. Like I'm in the way of a mass of humanity that's going to run me over. And you do, you sort of jump and you realize the size and the power and the speed. And you're just like, oh, okay. All right. Head on a swivel, pay attention. I'm really glad they're not here to hit me. When I was at uh, Niners practice in August, um, when I was on the, on the sidelines doing photography and uh, there was uh, they were doing like scoop block drills and it was Nick Bosa handling a scoop from uh, George Kittle and Trent Williams. And I swear to God, like, it sounded like two semis running into each other full speed. Yeah. And, th I mean, Nick Boza, for whatever, he's got the physique of a Greek god. But, like, Trent is Trent. Yeah. And Kittle, people don't give Kittle enough credit. Like, that dude could play tackle. I swear yeah. to God he could play tackle. He doesn't look like it, but he is so freaking strong and dense. And when they were firing off full speed against each other, I was like, how do any of you live through this no. and you do it 20 times a year how do you live through this like it's insane what these people go through yeah and, i always you know, people think complain, about people complain think... that they make all this money and i'm like dude you uh, do that you go yeah. do that like... no it's as soon as you see one of those impacts and there are several throughout the game even with 
positions like wide receiver that don't take as much impact and whatever else. There was a shot of the week nominee we didn't put in between uh, Dev Duvernay hitting Andre Sisco in the Ravens-Jags game. Andre Sisco is an absolute hammer safety out of Syracuse, and he's been laying people out this year. He is a flat-out hitter. Mm-hmm. And Dev Duve shoulder-blocked him into the turf. Full speed, both of them coming. Again, nobody, nobody gave an inch. Duvernay just pounded him into the turf and stood there and was like, yeah, keep coming. Like, just one of those is enough to make you hurt for two or three weeks. And they take multiples. (laughs) And, I, yeah, I always think about when you're talking about, like, scoop blocks and impact and stuff like that, concussions, obviously, thing. I always think about the small bones. (laughs) I'm like, the bones in your wrist, like, you're, again – with a guy like Trent Williams, who's incredibly large, very powerful, Kittle as well, like going up against a guy like Boza, who is built like a block of granite, and you're just like firing into that guy. You're like, how much stress is on the little bones in your wrist? The answer is a fuck ton. Like that's a that's a metric measurement, you know. I remember when I was at NFL Network and I first met Brian Baldinger. <laughs> Uh, he, and yeah. he likes to fuck with people by reaching out with his, <laughs> with his, his screwed up his hand. index to, and to shake your hand. And he's like, go ahead, take it, take it, take it. Because like, it's hard. It's hard to miss. It's really oh, hard to for miss. Sure. <laughs> and um, I, I, but that's like, you look at every O-lineman from back then, like before they, they kind of did the. Oh, 100%. Was, like they taped, but not like today. No, nah, they just taped their like, knuckles. Like, you know, like the, all of them. All of their fingers are messed up. Because yeah. how could they not be? Like, it's almost impossible well, to play I mean, 10 years. You even look at um, guys like Calvin Johnson. Uh huh. Right? Calvin Johnson, Megatron, right? He was catching all those rockets from Stafford and was like, oh, Stafford's got a big arm. That's amazing. Well, there's somebody on the other end of that cannon, and it's Calvin Johnson. And Calvin Johnson is huge. By receiver standards, he's massive. He holds his hands up, and it's. You know, uh, Chris Carter, same way. Like, mm. there is a cost to playing this game that is that is really ridiculous. But the the impact in general, especially on the offensive defensive line clash, that playing in a phone booth, that every play that a lot of people don't look at. Like, as you learn more about football, you tend to focus on that interaction more. Uh, the old, you know, the title of Pat Kerwan's book, "Take Your Eye Off the Ball," right? Look at all the other things those are the things you start to gravitate towards. And then you realize that like um, all the work that like Brandon Thorne does um, Mm -hmm. on both sides of the ball and, and rating that like the impact between those guys. And then you stand there and look at it point blank and it's something else. Yeah. Gotta love this sport. It's terrifying, but I love it's terrifying, (laughs) but it is fascinating. Uh, All right, let's get to week 13 watch list. EJ, take it away. Yeah. So Titans Eagles, Enough said. We've talked about the Titans. We've talked plenty about the Eagles on this podcast. This is a sort of measuring stick game for the conferences, if you want. Eagles Mm -hmm. mashing away in the NFC. Titans, mm, middle of the pack of playoff contenders, I would say, in the AFC. Both very physical teams. Going to be a slobber knocker. Commanders, Giants. Big for the overall result in the NFC East. The NFC East is the most successful division in football in terms of wins this season. 
and that makes the pairings incredibly close, which makes the pairings head-to-head mean even more. They basically count double. So that one's got a lot of significance. Chiefs-Bengals could be an eventual playoff matchup. We saw it last year in route to the Super Bowl. This is a big one. And then fascinated by, I gotta say, Dolphins 49ers. Mike McDee's homecoming game. He goes back to the Bay Area. He was with Shanahan for many years throughout his entire career. Now gets his shot as the head guy coaching the Dolphins. Has incredible immediate success. Gets to come home and play his mentor, let's call him that, partner, whatever you want to call him. And... This is going to be a fun one. Uh, Two schemes with a little bit of uh, new sprinkle or flavor with all the weapons they have in Miami. Really want to see how it comes out, especially against that D'Amico Ryan's defense. I I don't know what the over-under is for Dolphins 49ers. I don't think it's high enough, whatever it is. like These teams are (laughs) going to score a lot. This is going to be the game that's really going to test D'Amico's second half because... Oh yeah. If there's one team that has the speed to match up with Fred Warner in cover two, it's that one. Because I love Fred, but I don't know if you're gonna run with Tyreek. <laughs> like if you get Tyreek at the number three spot. That's what I'm like, get the fuck out of cover two. Get out of cover two. Do anything else. Don't do that. Like if there's yeah. one team that I think could break that, I, I think it's the Dolphins. So I'm I'm fascinated, absolutely fascinated to see how that works. And I'm a little bit annoyed that the NFL didn't flex out Cowboys Colts and put that in prime time. Come Actually, I'm, on. I'm a lot of bit annoyed. Yeah, but- I'm a lot of bit annoyed because it's like if here's the chance, right? We're going to serve you up one late season that you know is going to be good. And up to like three weeks ago, to be fair, we didn't know that it was going to be great. The Niners had to rally a bit. The Dolphins have been churning along. But since the Niners have rallied, Oh, that elevates that game. It makes it all that much more interesting. Yeah, and I get it. Like, the Cowboys are good, and when the Cowboys are good, you have them in prime time. But, like, the Colts are not good. (laughs) I'm trying to be generous here. They're not good. They're fascinating. Matt Ryan is going to be publicly executed on national television, and I am not looking forward to that. Like, I, I had to stomach the Steelers game last night. And I, I like Kenny Pickett. I love George Pickens. Like, there's a lot of things I like about the Steelers. There's a lot of things I like about the Colts. Like, Jelani had a good game. You know, Alec Pierce, uh, Michael Pittman, Jonathan Taylor. Like, they got some players I genuinely love. Grover Stewart, one of the best players in the league nobody ever talks about. But holy shit, that was hard to watch. It was, yeah, it was really hard to watch. It was not Titans-Bengals, uh, no, which was no, a lot of fun to watch. And that's the thing in this business. There are games that are fun to watch. There are games that are fascinating. There are games that are interesting. And then there are games, many of which all of you have sat through with us on Thursday nights, that are, we do this for work. Yes, yes. And that's that's when we drink absinthe, to forget the pain. Because anything is better We're not going to be drinking absinthe, though. We're going to change that drink in the future. I... For my own health, I don't think I can do four absinthe shots on no. a podcast again. I just can't. That that really hurt. That really, really hurt. But uh, uh, All right. Thank you to all of our executive producers. We have a lot of them now. Marat, Consti, Caden, Andrew, Taylor, Liam, Connor, Joey. Brand new. 
welcome Joey to be an executive producer, and Mike L. Also, welcome to Mike to be an executive producer. They both stepped up in the last week to join the ranks of our EPs, so welcome to Joey and Mike. An honorary producer for this week, find a cure for everything that he donated in our last live stream to force us unwillingly <laughs> to doing these, those absent shots. Uh, he's the one who made that possible. So thank you to Find a Cure, our honorary producer for this week. Um, EJ, you got anything coming on uh, Bears Over Beers? I think we're going to shift up a little bit. Uh, the Bears season has shifted, so we're going to shift as well to meet it. Uh, my thought is that we're going to talk about what's left for the Bears this year. Seems like Justin's probably going to be out for a bit. That's been the key focus. So what do Bears fans look for for the rest of the season as that's the reality? No, Justin, what should Bears fans watch throughout the rest of the year to make this season worthwhile? So I think that's going to be our focus for the week. Uh, and then I myself uh, actually have two other things coming out this week. Uh, one of them just went live while we were recording this. I have a, uh, you know, people have been asking for a long time, like, when are you going to do, like, classic film breakdowns of stuff that happened a long time ago? My first one just went live on J.J. Watt, 2014, oh. when he single-handedly <laughs> beat the Buffalo Bills without getting a sack. And uh, the NFL decided to put that on the main NFL YouTube channel. So that just went live today. I'm super fucking excited. Been working Dude, on that congratulations. While, That's, for those of you that, don't know or new to bootleg um in terms of brett's story starting starting as a pa at the nfl being a texans fan those two things sort of fusing together and now the nfl promoting his content now that he's left on his own about one of his favorite players ever like there's so many notes in that particular song that are playing just perfectly. Um, cheers to you, man. That one's huge. I was, God, what was it? 23 years old uh, when I was at the NFL Network, and I cut the highlight for that game. And then I cut a music video for it because I, I did overnight shifts around then too. And, God, eight years later to do the thing that I always wanted to do with that right. game, which was do a breakdown of it, a long-form breakdown of that game, which, you know, it was a regular season Texans-Bills game. Nobody's fucking paying attention, like C.J. Manuel. But at the time, and I was also a writer at Battle Red Blog, another SB Nation site, sister site of Windy City Gridiron. Um, and, you know, at the time I was writing for BRB, and we were all losing our minds over that game. And eight years later to come full circle, you know, at the place that I started – to do the, the content that I always wanted to do on YouTube. It's it's wild how life works out, man. It really is. So uh, go watch that if you're interested in classic J.J. Watt being utterly absurd and making EJ, life's, EJ Manuel's life hell. Yeah, the uh, other EJ, not me, luckily. <laughs> the other EJ. Speaking of being chased, there's one guy I don't want to be chased by ever. <laughs> Especially 2014 Watt when he was no. like at the height of his powers. And then I also got a film room uh, on my channel coming out this week on uh, Patrick Mahomes being a fucking cheat code and how the Chiefs offense has adjusted this year and still might be better than ever. So go check that out when it comes out, I think, on Saturday is what we're shooting for. So, yeah, lots coming this week on Bears Over Beers, Film Room, and the NFL channel. We hope you'll come by on Thursday for our Thursday live stream of 
shit. Uh, Pat's Bill. Yeah, Pat's yeah. Bills. There we go. Pat's Bills. <laughs> no, this one has the potential to be uh, both a meaningful game. Again, as a divisional game, counts twice uh, in terms of, hey, if you knock somebody off, the head-to-head is significant. And, you know, while the Patriots' rushing stats may have dropped off, uh, this is always going to be a bit of a grudge match. Yeah, so it should be a fun game. Really, really excited for it. And uh, we'll see you then. And uh, until then, have a wonderful week. Take care.